Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel according to John, and we're turning to John chapter 7. We're going to take a break, uh, a short break this morning from our series through uh, Mark's Gospel, and uh, we want to turn to a a passage in John uh, that speaks about uh, the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, today is a time when many people, many churches, will give their attention to uh, the day of Pentecost and the coming of the Spirit. And we want to look at a passage this morning that gives us something of the significance of the Spirit's coming. And we want to look at it by looking at something that Jesus said uh, even before uh, Pentecost arrived or before the Spirit uh, came in power. John chapter 7. And beginning our reading at verse 37, you'll find this on page 893 if you're using the church Bibles. John 7 at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We are told uh, that we need to drink lots of water uh, if our bodies are going to work well. Uh, You young people, maybe your mom and dad, have to remind you uh, to make sure you're drinking lots of water during the day. If we want our bodies to function rightly, they need water. Uh, And that's uh, part of the way that we are made. But just as we need water uh, for our physical bodies, uh, Scripture uses that imagery of water to highlight something of our needs spiritually. Water has a way of uh, highlighting our dependency but also of God's provision. And this morning we want to look at these verses that Jesus says uh, in order to to see something of the significance of uh, his provision and ultimately of uh, the Spirit, Uh, that Jesus is the giver of the Holy Spirit and therefore we can find God's blessing by coming uh, to him. Uh, These verses here uh, in in chapter 7 Uh, tells us that Jesus said these words on the last day of the feast. Uh, Jesus is speaking here during the Feast of the Tabernacles, or sometimes it is known as the Feast of Booths. And you see that back at the beginning of chapter 7 in verse 2. It says, now the Jews, uh, uh, now the Jews, uh, uh, feasts of the booths uh, was at hand. Uh, the, The Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, was a celebration. It was one of the three great celebrations uh, that the people of God celebrated in the Old Testament. It was a celebration of God's provision for them. And it really looked back on uh, all of God's grace. It looked back on uh, the people's journey in the wilderness and how God provided for all of their needs. And part of the reason why it's called the Feast of the Tabernacles is because during that week-long celebration, they were supposed to construct these temporary structures, these temporary tent-like structures or tabernacles that they would live in to show that they're, they're living as those who were dependent on God, just as the people were in the, old, in the wilderness uh, themselves. Uh, 
And one of the ways that God provided for the Israelites in the Old Testament wilderness was when he caused water to come out of the rock. You remember that Moses, on a couple of occasions, was used to bring water out of a rock, that he struck a rock and water gushed out. And then the people had water to drink, that they were provided for by God's grace. And that's really what the wilderness was meant to do. It was meant to teach the people to live trusting in God, not to simply live by their own sufficiency, but to learn to trust in God for all their their needs. And that's uh, what was happening during the wilderness. And so the Feast of the Tabernacle celebrated these things. God is a God who provides for us. He provided for us with the water out of the rock. He provided for us in the wilderness. And we were able to live as we depended on his grace. But the, the Feast of the Tabernacles also celebrated not just the past, it celebrated the present. It was a celebration of harvest. It was a celebration of God's provision for their, their needs even now. And it also had a petition embedded in it as it looked forward for God to provide abundant rain uh, in the future, to provide abundance in uh, going forward. And so as they celebrated this uh, feast, it looked back on the wilderness wandering. It commemorated God's provision in the present, but it also looked forward to God's future provision as well. That God is a God who would not only provide for their material or their physical needs, but that he would provide for them according to all of their needs. Because their needs weren't just physical. Their needs were spiritual. They were moral. They, they, they dealt with the, their relation with their God. And so here in this feast, it was a reminder to them to look forward to God's abundant provision. That there would be an even greater provision than what God had already given to them. And part of that was wrapped up in the whole ceremony on the Feast of Tabernacles. And we see that when we think about the water rite ceremony that was part of their celebration. The people would uh, go to uh, the temple and they would draw up water from the pool of Siloam. And when they would draw up that water, they would then pour out the water at the temple altar. It was meant to commemorate the fact that God caused his water to pour out from the rock. It was to remember that God had provided for them. But they did that not only to remember what God had done, they were daily taking up the water and then pouring it out to say that this is what God is going to do. God is going to pour out his provision. He's going to pour out his blessing. And that blessing is the abundance of his favor and it is the pouring out of his spirit. And suddenly we start to remember some of those passages in the prophets when the prophets would speak about God's latter-day blessings. You think about Joel, and Joel would use the language of, I will pour out my spirit. It is this idea of the abundance of God's blessing coming in the age of the Messiah. God would pour out his spirit, and it would bring a transformation. It would bring a renewal in the people, because it would provide them for all of their needs. And they would know the favor of God in a much greater way. And so this feast actually is very rich because it looked back on what God had done. 
but it anticipated an even greater day in which God's blessings would be poured out. And so you see that even in, again, the way the ceremony would be celebrated. Because during this week-long uh, festival, uh, on the last day, they would, uh, they would uh, take up the water and then pour it out. And then we're told that on the last day of the celebration, the water ceremony was intensified because they walked around the altar seven times. So there's this crescendo of anticipation as the feast is drawing to a close. It's not simply saying we remember what he's done. But there's a building up of something bigger that is supposed to come. God's blessing will be poured out even greater. And so they did this ceremony with that expectation. We mentioned how the prophets would use language that reminds us of this whole uh, idea of God's provision. But think, for instance, of what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 12. He says, you will say in that day, so this is a day to come, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And then listen, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. What's Isaiah saying there? He's using the language of the Feast of the Tabernacles when they celebrated the water coming from the rock, the provision of God's grace, the abundance of God's favor. And Isaiah is saying, there is going to come a day when you will draw the water from salvation itself, from the wells of God's grace, and you will know salvation from sin. That, that there will be an even greater outpouring of God's blessing. And so those words actually became part of the ceremony. They became part of the celebration of the Feast of the Tabernacles. So when Jesus here stands up on the last day of the feast, and he says, if anyone thirsts, in one sense, we know what Jesus is getting at, don't we? Because thirst is something that every one of us deals with. Thirst is a powerful sensation. When we are thirsty, we're compelled to find satisfaction, some kind of relief of that thirst. Maybe you're outside working and you're getting dehydrated. You want water. And not only do you know you need water, but your body is demanding it. Your body is signaling to you, you need to find relief. And so as your body is reminding you and signaling to you to find relief from your thirst, you are a person that looks for water to find that relief. Jesus here uses that analogy to explain something of our own need spiritually. That scripture says that we need to live before God and we need to be acceptable in God's sight. We need to be approved by God, but that we need a righteousness that we don't have. And not only does scripture say that we've fallen short, that we know, we sense within that there's something not right as we live our lives without reference to God, as we live before God with a guilty conscience, as we live our lives as sinners. We need to be made right with God if we're to find satisfaction in life. 
And so Jesus here uses this language, if anyone thirsts. He's not talking about physical water. He's talking about a longing of the soul. He's talking about someone who senses things are not the way they should be. That I'm not satisfied with the status quo. That I know things are not right and I long for things to be better. To know my God and to know my God's favor. To know I am accepted before God. To know things are well. That's the longing of the soul. And think about what C.S. Lewis once said about longings. You think about the longings we have, the cravings that we have. Those longings, they always find some point of realization. The, the, the hunger for food finds satisfaction in food. The longing for our thirst to be quenched is satisfied in water. Jesus here is highlighting if a person recognizes this isn't right. There's something lacking in life that, that I should be made right with my God. I need God's favor. And I long to know the favor of God and his blessings. Jesus here is saying there is a point of realization of that, a fulfillment of that. We can know God and be accepted in his sight. And so Jesus is really springboarding off this occasion. On an occasion when people would be saying the words, you will draw from the wells of God's salvation. As people are celebrating the pouring out of water and they're thinking about how God has provided in his goodness for them. As people are doing this over and over and over, they're all thinking about how God in his grace provides. It's on that occasion that Jesus stands up and speaks in a voice to be heard. By all who are there, if anyone thirsts. Jesus is calling to anyone who recognizes their need. Anyone who realizes, I need more. That I need God and I need his blessing. Jesus is highlighting that and highlighting that there is a provision for it in himself. He is the provision of God. And so as we look at these verses this morning, we see that there is a desperate condition that Jesus is talking about. If anyone thirsts, if anyone hungers after righteousness, if anyone longs for their soul to be made right with God, if anyone is uh, realizing their sins are a problem and that they need to be reconciled with their God, that they need to know, they need to be assured of God's favor. Those are the longings of the soul. And Jesus is addressing the depth of our need. Because we're not just physical beings. We are made body and soul. And God not only provides for us physically, he also provides for us spiritually. He provides for our soul the gift of eternal life. That's what the scriptures were anticipating. The prophets, I will pour out my spirit. I will transform your hearts. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. You will love the Lord your God when I give you my spirit. It was talking about the gift of salvation and how God's grace would be realized in time to come. And so Jesus here is simply highlighting that. There is a desperate condition when people recognize things aren't the way they should be. They're thirsty and they're longing for relief. But Jesus doesn't just describe a condition here. He also describes a definite remedy. He says in verse 37, 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Again, think back in the wilderness. The people of Israel were wandering through uh, a, a desert land. But God provided for them by causing the water to gush out of that rock. But when the people saw the water, the people drank. When they saw that there was a provision for their need, they took, they received, they embraced that gift of God, and they were nourished by it. Jesus here is describing himself as that provision. Let him come to me and drink. How does one drink of Jesus? It is receiving him as the gift of God. It is by receiving him in faith, believing that in him we have eternal life. That is how we find satisfaction for the soul and relief from uh, the, the guilt and the threat of condemnation. But Jesus says some interesting things in these verses. In verse 38, he says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There are actually two different ways of understanding Jesus' words there. Depending on how you punctuate the original wording of that statement, it is possible you can understand these words that Jesus is uh, describing um, what happens in a believer. We're really asking the question, out of whose heart flows rivers of living water? Or out of whose belly flows rivers of living water. And we can understand that to be referring to the believer. Uh, that if you take the first part of verse 38 and the second or the ending of verse 38, if you put them together, the natural understanding of that is, is that Jesus is referring to out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. That they with the spirit of God will be as one who has the, the waters of life flowing out from them. And that's really what Jesus was saying to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. That whoever believes in him will have waters welling up into eternal life. And that's certainly how it can be understood. But many have also highlighted there's another way that these words can be understood. Uh, and while it's awkward at first perhaps to look at it that way, it is a very theologically satisfying answer. If you look back in verse 38... We can understand Jesus here when he says, whoever believes in me, uh, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The out of his heart can be referring to Jesus himself. That Jesus is highlighting that he is the source of the living water. That he is the giver of the living water. And there are good reasons for understanding it in this way. One, because... In the Old Testament, God caused water to flow out from the rock. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that rock. He is the fulfillment of God's provision where the rock was struck. We read in Ezekiel 47, which talked about a new temple, out of which water would flow in abundance. And scripture teaches us that Jesus is that new temple. And so there are many ways in which we can look at this and see how it it finds its meaning in Christ. But however you understand Jesus' statement there, out of whose belly flow the river of living water, you can see that both ultimately agree that Jesus is the source of living water. 
and that it is ultimately something that Jesus gives, and what he's giving is the Holy Spirit. You see that explicitly stated in verse 39. Now this he was saying about the Spirit. So Jesus here is highlighting that those who come to him will find new life. And the new life they will find, the well, welling up of salvation, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus says people are to come to him, because he's the one who can give eternal life. So as we uh, might think about the ambiguity of the statement, the meaning is still clear. Jesus is the supplier of the Spirit, and he is the one that ultimately quenches our thirst. So Jesus here is uh, talking about why people should come to him, why he is the definite remedy. He says, come to him and drink. He is the Lord's provision, but he is also the source of the Spirit. He is the source and giver of new life. The Spirit, then, is the one who will quench the thirst of the people and satisfy them with their needs. In Ezekiel 47, which we read, the Spirit will give life and vitality and healing. That's the work of the Spirit in a person's life. He takes uh, what is of Christ and he applies it uh, to God's people. And as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 12, the Spirit will bring joy as they draw from the wells of salvation. So why should people come to Christ? Why should people believe in him or drink of Jesus as he uses that language? It's because of what he gives them. He's the one who gives them the Spirit. He is the one who gives them new life and salvation in him. And the Spirit, when he comes to work in people, will bring to them uh, the benefits of what Christ has accomplished. In verse 39, it says, Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who were to believe in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Um, this is a passage that we need to have uh, be very careful in how we interpret it. Um, very literally, um, it says that uh, the Spirit was not yet because Jesus had not been glorified. Um, but that flat interpretation can't be what is meant because the Spirit was present and the Spirit was active already at this point. John himself in this gospel has already mentioned the working of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. But we only have to ask the question, how does anyone come to faith? It is the work of the Spirit that brings new life. And so the Spirit was active and is active even uh, prior to Pentecost. So what does it mean then when it says that the Spirit was not yet because Jesus was not yet glorified? We have to understand those words in terms of the outworking of God's purposes. That we're to understand the work of the Spirit in relationship to the accomplishment of Jesus. The Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of the exalted Christ, had not yet come. The Spirit of the exalted and glorified Son of God had not worked his work in knowledge of or in in light of what Jesus has accomplished until his glorification. And so here what is being emphasized is looking at the Spirit in relationship to God's works. Uh, the, it is all tied to the glorification of Jesus. 
It is when Jesus is exalted that the Spirit will bring the fullness of God's grace to bear on the hearts of those who believe and so transform them. Remember what Ezekiel said, that God will transform their hearts. I will put my spirit in them and then they will walk in my ways. It is is by bringing or shedding light on the glory of Christ that our hearts are being transformed. It's by taking what Jesus has accomplished and sealing it to the believer that a person is being changed. And so the spirit of the exalted Christ will do that when it has been accomplished. And that is what is being stressed here. As Christ has been glorified, then the spirit will bring these things to bear on uh, the people. And so when we think about the day of Pentecost, the, the outpouring of the spirit, the realization of God's unfolding work, it is highlighting to us something of the significance of the spirit. But it's also telling us something about Christ. Jesus has been glorified. In John's gospel, the glorification of Jesus is when he is crucified, dead and buried, and when he is risen and ascended into glory. And so the coming of the Spirit is highlighting that Jesus has been glorified. He has been exalted in glory. And now we are to look at God's work in light of what Christ has accomplished. So it signals for us the glorification of the Son. But the coming of the Spirit also signals for us not only Christ's glory, but Christ's gift. Christ's gift is the Spirit. That Jesus himself said that he would give the Spirit. And so when we think about the coming of the Spirit, we're thinking about what Christ has given to sinners. He has given the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that accompanied him during his earthly ministry, the Spirit that empowered him to fulfill the Lord's work, the Spirit that emboldened him to trust in God as his Father. That same Spirit now is at work in the lives of God's people, emboldening them to know that they can address God as their Father, knowing that they can come to God in faith in Jesus Christ. They are able to see why it is that they can live to the glory of God because they've been living now in light of Christ's accomplishments. And so the the coming of the Spirit is significant because it tells us something about Jesus. He has been glorified. It tells us something of Christ's grace because he's given a gift to his church. They are not simply carrying on as though everything is the same as it has always been, but now they have the gift of Christ's Grace in the Spirit, enabling them, transforming them to live to God's glory. But more than that, not only do they have the gift of the Spirit, but what the Spirit does in them. And that is to bring them to a knowledge of the truth and to give them the joy and satisfaction that comes in God's work. As we think about God's work, It causes us to desire him more and more. We were singing about that in Psalm 36. The meditation on God's attributes, the meditation on who God is, causes us to desire him. And the more that we desire the living God, the more satisfied we will become. 
And so the work of the Spirit is to bring these things to bear, to cause us to be satisfied in the God who is. Only then will we be delighted. We will have joy, as Isaiah says, in the wells of God's salvation. We will have a knowledge of the truth, as Joel and as Ezekiel say, because the Spirit is at work in their lives. The Spirit was always at work with God's people, but now that Christ has been glorified, the Spirit is able to shed light on the greatness of God in an even greater way. That's what the Spirit does. He's a floodlight, and he shines brightly on the sun. And now that the Son has accomplished his work, revealing the Father, the Spirit shows that to us. And as he shows it to us, it transforms hearts and causes them to have joy, to be relieved of that thirst, to, to be able to enjoy the God who is. And so when we think about what this passage is saying, what was being celebrated, it was God's provision. A longing to see God's provision even greater. Jesus saying that he is that provision And that when we put our trust in him, we will know joy in God himself. We will see God in his works. His works point us to Christ and his spirit magnifies his grace. Do you know that comfort yourself? Have you yourself not only known your thirst, but the source of relief and satisfaction in the Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we live out our lives, that we would understand that we are creatures of desire, creatures of longing, and we not only have physical longings uh, of food and uh, drink, but that we are creatures who long uh, even uh, to know our souls are um, cared for, to know that things are well, to know the relief of sin, and uh, to know the living God. And we pray, Lord, that as we think about the works that you have done in and through the Lord Jesus, that by your spirit, we would be satisfied and have uh, hearts filled with joy. So go before us now, we pray, and bless us.